there's nothing certain except death and taxes. That's right. You know what? I've never experienced death, but I know a little bit about what it's like to pay taxes. Amen. Anybody else? Uh, we all have. Uh, you know what? I am convinced, though, that there's only one way to be free of taxes, and that's to die. <laughs> to die. That's right. Well, guess what? Listen carefully. It's the same way with our new relationship with God's law and sin. The only way you're going to escape it is by dying. Dying to the law and dying to sin. Friends, as we come to chapter 7, Paul is still trying to show us what it looks like to be dead to sin but alive in Christ. And in chapter 6, you may remember last week that Paul used the analogy of slavery to show us that in Christ we're free from that old master of sin and we are alive to our new master who is Christ Jesus our Lord. Now today, he moves from the analogy of a master and slave to the analogy of a husband and wife. Now, some of you may think those are one and the same. Hus master and slave, husband and wife, get it? Uh, Y'all don't get it. Anyway, here's, here's what Paul does today. Paul takes marriage and he uses it as a picture of our new relationship to the law of God. So today you need to know this. Regardless of whether you're single, regardless of whether you're married, regardless of whether you're divorced, regardless of whether you're widowed, you're married. The question is, who is your husband? Who are you married to? You see, spiritually speaking, we are all married to either the law or to the Lord. It's one or the other, but you are married. So we need to understand that today. Which one are you faithful to? You faithful to trying to do the law and everything it tells you to do? Or are you faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and what he leads you to do, what he wants to do through you? Are you committed to the law and all it tries to tell you to do? Or are you committed to the Lord Jesus and all he wants to do through you? We need to understand that today. Today we're going to look at some similarities. Some similarities between marriage and three key issues of life. First, the similarity that we're going to look at is the similarity between the law and marriage. On page two, uh, 1003, on the Bibles in, front of, in the Bibles in front of you, in Romans chapter 7, we're going to re read beginning in verse 1. Everybody with me? Here we go. Paul writes, and remember who he's writing to here. He's writing to believers just like you. He's writing to a church, a church that was in Rome, just like us. And here's what he says. Or do you not know, brethren, brothers, right? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man, get this, as long as he lives. Verse 2. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. 
But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress even though she has married another man. The similarity between law and marriage. First, I want to point out the power of God's law, the power of the law. The whole idea in verse 1 here is that all laws, whether they be God's laws or man's laws, can only be enforced while you're alive. Did y'all hear that? When you die, you are free from the power of any law. For instance, when Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested for the murder of John F. Kennedy, he was subject to the laws of the state of Texas and the laws of the United States. But when Jack Ruby walked into that Dallas police station and shot Oswald dead and killed him, the law could no longer touch him. I mean, think about how crazy it would be to put Oswald on trial with him being dead. It doesn't make any sense, does it? When he died, when Oswald died, he was beyond the reach of the law. Listen carefully. Spiritually speaking, the same is true for believers. As long as we're alive in this natural state, the way we were born, we are condemned by the law of God. That's right. We're condemned by the law of God. But when we die, we are free from the demands of the law. Now let's look at a picture. This picture of the law. There in verses 2 and 3, Paul uses this image of marriage to show us what he's talking about here. He says, if a woman's husband is alive, then she is bound to him by the law of marriage. However... If she leaves him for another, she's guilty of breaking that law. Common sense, right? But if the husband dies, then she's free to marry again because she's been freed from that law of marriage because her husband no longer lives. Now, Paul's not trying to give us a lesson on marriage here. What he's trying to get through to us is this. He's trying to say that the only way to be free from the demands of the law is for you to be dead to sin and dead to the law. We need to understand who we're married to today. Are you married to the law or are you married to the Lord Jesus? For you see, until we die, the law makes demands that you could never hope to keep. You can't do it. You can't keep all the commands of God. You can't keep all these demands of the law. But when we die to sin, when we die to this law, we're set free from these impossible demands. So that's the similarities between the law and marriage. I want to point out something else. Some similarities between our liberty and marriage. Look with me at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead, that you, we should bear fruit to God. Here Paul is sharing with us about a new freedom that we have access to. 
a new freedom. He says that when we become dead to the law, we do so through the body of Christ. We know what the Bible says about what sin causes, don't we? For the wages of sin is, say it with me, death. That's right. The law demands death when we sin. It demands death for all sinners. But we also know that by believing in Christ, believing in what Jesus did, trusting in what he did when he paid the price on the cross, we also know that the law has been satisfied for us. It's been satisfied for us. So he speaks about that freedom, but he also speaks about a new family. In verse 4, Paul went on to say that we are married to another. Now, when I remarried Janet after Beverly's death, things were different. When Janet and I were remarried and after the death of Beverly, some changes occurred in my marital relationship. Janet was now part of my family. I was now part of her family. Likewise, when we become dead to the law and are remarried to Christ, things should be different. Changes should occur. When you quote-unquote remarry to the king, there should be a family resemblance. Amen? We should begin to look like the king. Uh, very, very important. You are now part of Jesus' family. But under the law, when you were married to the law, you were held to a standard that you could never keep. You couldn't keep the, the high standards of this law. Regardless of how well you lived your life, you weren't good enough. The law always told you that you would never be good enough. The law said you were lost, you were helpless, and that you had no hope. However, in Jesus, you got a new husband. In Jesus, you have a new relationship. And this new husband tells us that if you'll come to him for salvation, that he will cleanse you from sin and that he will make you righteous. Wow. What a great husband. Amen. What a great husband. Now that we're in Christ, there's no more impossible demands. Now that we're in Christ, we know that he's already paid the price for us. In Christ, we know that we are loved. We know that we are free from the bondage of the law. And we know that we are complete in him. We're part of a new family now. And we should bear family resemblance. But Paul also says that there will be a new fruitfulness. See, God didn't do all this for you just to bless you. We'd like to think that, wouldn't we? Oh, man, God really likes me, man. He blessed me good. But he didn't do all this just so you could be blessed. No, he saved us and brought us into this relationship with us, with him, so that we might bear fruit. So that we might bear some fruit that's worthy of the glory of God. This is the whole idea behind Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, Bree Hughes. Galatians 2, 19 and 20, does sound familiar to you? Amen? Well, listen carefully. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. 
For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. We've been given a new life. We've been given a new life so that we might glorify our Father in heaven. Now, this fruit that I'm talking about will reveal itself in one of two ways. This fruit should reveal itself, first of all, in our attitudes. When the fruit of the Spirit is being manifest through you, people get to see the love of God through you. When the fruit's being manifested through you, the joy of God comes through you, the peace of God comes through you, the patience of God comes through you, the goodness of God comes through you, the faithfulness of God comes through you, the, I mean, all these blessings, the kindness of God comes through you, and the self-control of God comes through you because God is receiving the glory. But not only does this fruit reveal itself in our attitudes, it should also reveal itself in our actions. Not only will we be different internally, we should also be different externally in what we do in the name of the Lord. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, guess what he does? He bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you, guess what, bear much fruit. So then you will be called my disciples. You see, friend, God's desire is for his children to be fruitful for his glory. That you'll be fruitful in your attitudes and you'll be fruitful with your actions. And guess who gets all the glory? So we've looked at some similarities between the law and marriage and also our liberty and marriage. But one last one, there's some similarities between our lives and marriage. Look there in verse 5. For when we were, say were, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were, say were, were aroused by the law, were, say were, we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now, say but now. But now, the greatest, most glorious words in the whole Bible. Now things are different. Some changes have occurred. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Let me tell you a little bit about what you were. Let me tell you a little bit about that old life in sin. Let me tell you a little bit about the changes that have occurred for the person who has given his life to Christ. That look at the old life in sin tells us that there are four things that were, say were. There's some old things that were happening in your old sinful life. Number one, we were in the flesh. That is, we can only produce what this wicked, wretched flesh can produce. You were in the flesh. We were unable to walk in righteousness. We were unable to please God in any way. Because we were in the flesh. Number two, we were controlled by sins. That is, we were actually in bondage. We were held captive 
by our natural appetites and our natural desires towards sin. But not only were we in the flesh, not only were we controlled by sin, but we were also actually challenged to sin by the law. Does that sound weird to you? That we were actually challenged to sin by the law? It should sound odd, but when the law said, thou shalt not, do you know what you said? Want to bet? <laughs> Ever met any young people like that? You better do this or else, okay, and they go do it anyway. When the law said, thou shalt not, this wicked, rebellious flesh determined it would. We were actually challenged by uh, the law to sin. It's our rebellious spirit, the law, which was given, given to show us the right way to live. But it became the very thing that led us to do bad things. Now listen, you need to know that the law itself is not evil. The law is good. The law is given to us to give us direction. But we use it in the wrong way. Our fallen nature uses it as a reason to go after what the law said is off limits. And we go after it anyway. We say, want to bet? So we were in the flesh. We were controlled by, the, uh, by sins. Uh, we were also challenged by sin uh, to the, by the law. But finally, we were also actively engaged working out our own doom. You were busy dying. You were busy working on things that would make you die. With every sin you committed, with every rebellion that we committed, sinners quicken their own doom. With every lie you told, we were quickening our own doom. Why? Because the wages of sin is, and every sin after that, bam, making it quicker and quicker and quicker. We thought we were free. I can do anything I want to do. Anybody ever thought that? We all have. We all thought we were free, but you know what we actually were? We were actually prisoners Digging our own grave deeper and deeper and deeper with every sin and with every rebellion of that old life. But I've got some good news for you this morning. But now, say but now. But now, now, praise God, there's new life in the spirit. Let's look at verse 6 again. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve, say serve, Serve in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of this letter. What a great verse. Man, what a powerful verse. Here Paul is summing up what you were, and he's also telling you what you are. And that's good news. These words, but now, should mean a whole lot to you. And if they don't, you probably don't understand salvation But now should mean a whole lot to you because since we are in Jesus, there are some things that have forever changed. In Christ, there are things that have forever changed. Let me point out a few of these changes that come as a result of being in Christ. Number one, we have been released from the law. In Jesus, we are free from this list of do's and this list of don'ts. Because those list of do's and don'ts can't never save a soul. You know why? Because you can't keep them. I can't keep them. In Jesus, we are free from the worry and anxiety of hell. In Christ, I don't have to worry about that. I'm only excited about going to heaven. 
In Jesus, we are freed from ever, forever, from terrible bondage to the law that we could never keep. But not only have we been released from this law, but we've also been released to serve. You said that word. Serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. Now, listen carefully, because that doesn't mean that you can, uh, that you're like an employee that can work when he wants to. It doesn't mean that you're like an employee who can call in sick when he ain't. Y'all ever done that? I don't ever do that. It not only doesn't mean that you're an employee who can work when he wants to, but it also does not mean that you can change employers if things don't go your way. See, that's the first impulse. Things don't go the way I want them to go. Guess what I'm doing? Hitting the road, Jack, and I ain't never coming back. The idea here is, is that of a slave. Last week we talked about being a slave to God and how awesome that is. It's a picture of a person who lives for nothing else but to do the will of God, to do the will of his master. Let me ask you a question. Does that describe your life? Is that all you live for? Is to do the will of your master? If it's not, maybe it's time for a divorce from the law and let's get remarried to Christ. See, we're not bound to this list of right and wrongs anymore. No, we are bound to our master in heaven. We're master to our Lord and Savior, the one who gave his life for us. Can I tell you that nothing else should have any greater priority for you than becoming a slave of God? Please don't look on that, that phrase, slave of God, in a negative connotation. Friend, it ain't nothing but good. It ain't nothing but awesome. It's nothing but joy, love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, all those wonderful things. There's no greater priority. And serving God. Nothing is greater than that. But not only have we been released from the law, released to serve, but we've also been given a new life so we can serve him better. We've all served him in some capacity or another. But you know what? We've been given a new life for one primary reason, so that we can serve God better. Be more effective in his service. In chapter 5, we're told about how secure salvation is. Oh, boy, we like that idea, don't we? Man, ain't nothing going to happen to me now. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm heaven-bound, blood-bought. I'm ready to go. We like that idea of salvation. We like that idea that it's eternal, that it's unconditional, that nobody can take it away from me now. But in chapter 6, Paul starts talking about being a slave to God. And he starts talking about uh, having fruit to holiness. Uh-oh. And then in this chapter, he reminds us that since we're married to another, now all of a sudden, we should start bearing fruit to God. So what I'm telling you is, is just like salvation, just like being slave, or slaves and just like being saved, these things 
are unconditional. Bearing fruit for the believer is unconditional. It's not an option. It's what slaves of God do. It's what the born-again believer does. Is he bears fruit for the glory of God. So, if you're genuinely saved, bearing fruit will be an active part of your life constantly. Probably not perfectly, but constantly. So, if that's the case, can I just take my Bible and throw her out the window? Y'all thought I was going to do it, didn't you? Does it mean that the law can be done away with? Well, of course not. What it means is this. You need to listen real carefully here. If you don't, you don't remember anything else I said, remember this. What it means is we have a different relationship with this word now. We have a different relationship with the law now. Even though we're not under the law's bondage, you know what? We want to do it. We want to live by God's law. We want to strive to please God by living this way. And you can't do it living in rebellion. You can't do it living in sin. In other words, the law is not seen as some obstacle you got to climb. Instead, we look at it as a standard, a high and holy, godly standard that blesses God and honors God when we strive toward that standard. It's not too high. And friend, it's not too hard. It's something we want to do, not that we have to do in order to be saved. See, now in Jesus, the law fits like a glove. Before, I wanted to do everything contrary to what the Bible said. But now it fits. It fits my life. Now we know that we ought to love the law of God. That we ought to joyfully strive doing it. Not by obligation, because we want to. We want to glorify God. We want to glorify Jesus who gave his life and died for us on the cross. We want to do that. So where do you stand? in your relationship to the law today? Are you married to it? Are you still abiding under its impossible demands? Or have you died to the demands of the law and you've decided that you're going to marry Christ? A new husband, a new relationship, a new family, a new freedom, and a new fruitfulness. Today, are you in bondage to the law? Are you in freedom to the Lord Jesus? You know, there's nothing more miserable than trying to keep the law in order to please God. You know why? Because it'll never happen. It'll never happen. We can't keep this law. So it's far better just to Come to Jesus. Receive him by faith. You know why? Because he's already pleased the Father. And the Bible teaches us that we're, when we're in him, we please him too. But it's not because of anything you've done. 
It's all because of what the Lord Jesus has done. So Christian, listen up. Are you serving God in the newness of the spirit or trying to please him in the oldness of the letter? Can I remind you that there is only one way. There's only one way you can please God. There is only one way that you can produce fruit to the glory of God. You ready for this? And that is by allowing Jesus to live his life through you. You can't do it, but Jesus can. All you have to do is get out of the way. That's what you said, isn't it, brother? Get out of the way. Let him live his life through you. See, when you try to do it yourself, by trying to follow all these demands of the law, you know what you produce? Old dried up prunes. Ain't no good. I can't stand a prune. So really, it all depends on who you're married to today. You're married to somebody. Are you married to the law? Or are you married to the Lord? Do you need to marry Christ Jesus today? Or do you need to divorce yourself from the law because you have irreconcilable differences? Once again, we find that it's your choice. You're married. The question is, to which husband? Let's pray. Father God.